Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 7, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 7. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, look at everything that's happened so far. We're in, in chapter 7 here in 1 Samuel, but look at everything that's happened so far. Remember, Israel, they've lost in battle. They took major, major casualties, and the ark was taken. And then the ark returns, remember, with no human hands. And the people, they take more casualties, but yet it's for another reason. And remember our study last week, we see irreverence. We see irreverence, wrong formula, improper conduct with things holy. Remember our study from last week. And you'd think the ark being returned would be welcomed. And it was at first. But then it wasn't, you see, and this is something that we have to understand. It's very common with holiness where at first entry, it's received without incident, we'll say. But in the course of time, you see rejection and you see rejection with incident. I meant last week in our study in chapter six, we see in Beth Shemesh, the ark returns and the ark is well received and the people are happy. But then at the end of the chapter, they're just straight up, you know, get it out of here because there was death. And that was the ark. But we see the same thing with our Lord Jesus, where he starts his earthly ministry and things go smoothly at first, well received and without incident. But then things escalate. Things escalate to a point where the religious establishment, they want him dead. Remember our study on Sunday through the book of Mark. And then we see the same thing with Paul. Remember brother Paul? No big deal at first where, you know, he enters synagogue and he engages and, you know, okay, no big deal. No big deal. But then he's in synagogue and he was convincing the people that Jesus is the Messiah from the scrolls, from the ancient text. And Paul became a threat. And then, you know, from the religious establishment, where before it was like, okay, no big deal, you know, so, you know, he's, he's, he's in synagogue, but now it's like straight up, you know, we got to kill him. We got to kill him. You know, let, let's beat him at first, and then, you know, he didn't stop, so, okay, now let's kill him. And even, you know, from believers in the course of time, when it came to Paul, even the believers, they were just straight up, okay, let's leave Paul. Let's leave Paul. We're done with Paul. And we see this happen with Demas and all the saints in Asia. People started to leave Paul. Remember our earlier studies. And it still happens today where understand the more that you stand, the more that you stand in and for righteousness, the more that you abide in Jesus and he in you, the more that that happens, don't expect to have a lot of friends. Don't expect for a culture and society to like you. Don't expect existing friends to stay with you. Remember, Jesus is the one who reminds us. He's the one who tells us to remember that they hated him first. Remember? He says, listen, you know, they hated me first. And it's very important to understand because things are going to get worse in the last days for the believer. And among believers, there will be a falling away. It is prophesied. But not so with the remnant. The remnant is a very special people. 
very special people. And so here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 7. And, you know, we always like to look at, we look at the Old Testament, you know, as New Covenant believers, the new interpreting the old. But then in looking at the old and, you know, also understanding that we are people of the New Covenant, we see that the new interprets the old, the old interprets the new. We look at the full counsel of the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. And then we get the full counsel of the Word of God. We understand His nature, His character. And we fall deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with him. And so here we are in Beth Shemesh, in Beth Shemesh, where last week we we're in Beth Shemesh. But then, you know, the people, they were like, get, get it out of here. Take the ark, get it out of here. Because yes, the ark was well received at first. But then people died because they treated something holy with irreverence. And so they sent to another town. They said, get it out of here. Take the ark from us. Get it out of here. And so we begin our study here in 1 Samuel chapter 7. And in verse 1, Then the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So now look what happens when we remember chapter 5 and chapter 6 and here we are in chapter 7. The ark has a change in venue. Another change in venue, we'll say, because remember our prior studies where the ark was with Israel in battle and then Israel suffers defeat and then the ark gets taken. He's, the, the ark is with the Philistines and the, the, the Philistines, they suffer affliction. And then, you know, the, the ark goes to another Philistine town and they suffer affliction and then another Philistine town and they suffer affliction and death. And so now the ark is back with Israel and, you know, in one town, and they suffered death. And in verse 1 here, we see now it's a different town, Kirjath-Jarim. And at this point, one might wonder, who in, the, who, who in their right mind, who in the world even wants the ark? I mean, it's, it's, it's the very same thing that people asked last week in chapter 6, verse 20, where we see in uh, uh, verse 20 of chapter 6, you know, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? Who? Who was able to stand before him? He's holy. And these are things that the people, Israel, they're starting to come to this realization like, oh my goodness, this is, this is holiness. And so here we are in Kirjath-Jerim now. And, you know, in Kirjath-Jerim, will we see the status quo? From town to town to town to town of both Jew and Gentile. From town to town to town to town, will we see the status quo? Will we see more affliction and death? Well, let's find out. Verse 2. So it was that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim a long time. Very interesting. Very interesting. So we see that Kirjath-Jerim, that the ark is there, and we see a long time the ark is there. There's no death. No death like in the prior towns. No tumors like in the prior towns of both Jew and Gentile. The things that happened in the previous cities. Remember, both Jew and Gentile. Very important to remember that God is no respecter of persons. And he never changes. God is no respecter of persons. Remember what he said to Moses? Remember in, in, in when, when the Lord says to Moses and Moses tells, tells the people in Deuteronomy chapter 9, listen, yes, this is the promised land, but you're inheriting this land. It's not because of you. It's not because you're awesome. 
Remember, very important to understand and remember. And so the ark is in Kirjath Jerim here without incident and a long time too. And what's happening? We see in verse 2, it was there 20 years. It was there 20 years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Whoa. I mean, have you ever been in a period of life? A period of life where you just straight up ask of yourself, what have I done? What have I done? What in the world have I done? Have you ever been in that situation? I have. It's not, it's not a pretty situation. It's not a good feeling. I mean, when you're in the wrong and you know it, it's very difficult to fess up before people, but before the Lord. And before the Lord who already knows when everyone is in the wrong. Understand, there's something the Bible refers to as the acknowledgement of wrongdoing, the acknowledgement of guilt and wrongdoing and sin, acknowledging. And don't get me wrong, it's a bad feeling. You know, when you, when, when you have this feeling, this sensation of, oh my goodness, what have I done? It's not a good feeling. And don't get me wrong, you know, I, I don't want to gloss over it like, you know, you know, okay, yeah, I feel like dirt, you know, pass the potatoes, please. It's no small thing. It's a big deal. And at the feeling of guilt, a lot of people dismiss it and ignore it. And they turn to the bottle. They turn to the dealer. They turn to the things to help numb the pain, numb the hurt. They turn to other people searching for answers. Or they turn to other people attempting to mask guilt and shame. You know, oh yeah, you know, I feel like dirt, I'm guilty, but you know, this lady is going to make me feel real good. Oh yeah, I feel like dirt, I, you know, I, I, I'm guilty, I feel shame, but you know, this guy over here is going to make me feel real good. But yet, who is the soul who will tell you what's really happening? Who's going to tell you what's really happening? Who's the one that's going to tell you, hey, listen, you need to repent. You need to be right with God. Who is the soul who will tell you such a thing? I mean, you know, you could go to therapist after therapist. You can go to friend after friend. You can go to person A, B, C, D. And yet everybody's going to say, you know, you know, I, I was having this conversation not too long ago. A lady who, you know, she feels like down in the dumps. And she feels down in the dumps and she's telling me, well, you know, I'd like to go to the comedy clubs because, you know, my life is kind of a mess. And I go to the comedy clubs and, you know, I, I, I like to I like to laugh a little bit. I like to drink a little bit and I like to laugh and, you know, you know, just kind of make me feel good because my life is a mess. It's OK. So, you know, you, you go do that. You engage in this, you know, activity. But, you know, the next day, how do you feel? What about the following day? How do you feel? Oh, yeah, I go to the comedy clubs, you know, meet up with this guy, you know, we, we laugh, you know, do these things, we drink, do these things, and, you know, this and this happens, and, you know, okay, that, but the next day, is life better? What about a couple days later? Is life better? A week later, a month later, is life better? See, there are things that the world has to offer. And these things are 
fleeting. They're, they're momentary. The feel good. I get it. Everybody wants that. It's like, you know, like, you know, my, my life is a mess. My life is, an, is a mess. But, you know, the, I go to the comedy club and the guy makes me laugh. The lady makes me laugh. And, you know, I just want to feel good for a couple hours. Can I just get some laughter for a couple hours? Listen, there's, there's nothing wrong with laughter. But what it isn't, it is not the joy of the Lord. It is not the joy of the Lord. Because you can laugh, you know, 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, 1 a.m. You can laugh. But you wake up in the morning. Nothing's changed. But with the Lord. With the Lord. Everything can change. Everything can change. Where You know, you can feel you can have the, the guilt and the shame and you can feel like dirt. And you wake up in the morning, you go to the comedy club, you wake up, you wake up in the morning and it's like, wow, you know what? I still feel like dirt. Yeah, I laughed for a couple hours, but I still feel like dirt. You see? But with the Lord, you take your guilt and your shame and you give it to the Lord. And he takes it. And what he replaces with is something so beautiful where you don't have guilt and shame anymore. Why? Because the Lord took it away. You have something new. And what is new is in you, a new spirit, a new heart, a new mind. And I get it. You know, I, I, was, I wasn't born a Christian. Nobody was born a Christian. And so sometimes you, 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 you hear the mention of the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, the whole nine yards. And these are things that I tell you from experience. In this world, there is going to be guilt and shame. And the world has the remedy, but the remedy is poison. You see, Jesus overcame the world. And God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's very important to understand because we see here in the scriptures that the people here, the people here in this town, in Kirjath Jarim, they're lamenting after the Lord. I mean, we've seen in, in our prior studies, town after town after town after town after town. We see affliction and we see death of both Jew and Gentile. But here in Kirjath Jarim, we see lamenting. You see? And you see, there's no death. No tumors. You see this lamenting after the Lord. And lamenting is a good thing. It doesn't feel good to lament. I'm not saying, you know, like, hey, you know, it it feels good to lament. No, the aftermath of lamenting is beautiful. I mean, look at Israel. I mean, here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 7. You look at Israel, elect of God. But yet they took casualties. They suffered death, no victory. Ichabod, remember, the glory has left. And you say, well, you know, I'm a a Christian, you know, I'm a new covenant believer. Okay, praise be to the Lord, but even in the church. Remember Brother James? Remember Brother James? And, you know, you you, you, you pray and you, you, you ask, but you receive not because you ask amiss. And he straight up says, you know, adulterers and adulteresses. Talking to Christians. 
Wrong formula. And he says, listen, now's not a time to, 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 to be happy. Now's not a time to, you know, be full of joy. No, now's the time to lament. The problem's not the Lord. The problem is you. This is Brother James speaking to Christians. Now's the time to lament. And a lot of times as Christians, we look at the Old Testament and we say, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm a Christian. You know, I'm a Christian. I believe in the finished work of the cross. Well, praise be to the Lord. But do you think Jesus is done? He's not on the cross anymore. What about the work that he wants to do inside of you? You see? And the, the saints, in, in, when, when, when Brother James was writing his letter, they also believed in the finished work of the cross. But Brother James says, listen, it's a time to lament. You see? And so here we are in Kirjath Jarim, and for 20 years, the people, they've been lamenting. It's the guilt and shame of the collective. Just like we said earlier, you know, what have I done? What have I done? But the collective, what have we done in Israel? And where is the soul who would speak? And we get to verse 3 here. Then Samuel spoke. Then Samuel spoke. Amen. For such a time as this, look what we see here. Samuel, he's not little Samuel anymore. Now Samuel here, he's an adult. But let's not forget his early life. Let's not forget before he was born. You see, let's not forget Mama. Beautiful Hannah. And their choices, Mama and Samuel, Hannah and Samuel, their choices to honor the Lord. You see, Samuel at a young age, honoring the Lord for such a time as this. Beautiful, beautiful Samuel. He speaks. Verse 3, then Samuel spoke. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. Serve him only. Notice, Samuel, he's just straight up saying, if you do this, if you do this. Remember Brother Peter in his letters to the saints? You know, if you do this, you will never stumble. And Samuel here, he's saying, if you do this, if you remember the Lord, if you return to him according to his blueprints, According to how he says to be right with him. If you do that, Samuel says, then you're going to have effectuation of God's promises. You see? Why is that? Because doing these things, the formula will be right. The formula will be right according to the blueprints of the Lord. And one, you know, it's very important to remember that Samuel, he's not a hypocrite. He's not a hypocrite. This isn't high priest Eli saying this. This isn't priest Phineas speaking. This isn't Hophni speaking. Priest Hophni. This isn't the idolatrous or the sex head priest saying this. Remember our study in the book of Judges where we see the, the priesthood, they become idolatrous and you see the sex head priest. Remember the book of Judges, our study? Very hard study. And this is Samuel. He's not one of those guys. In those guys, the formula was wrong. But they're the priesthood. They're the priesthood. How could the formula be wrong? 
exactly our point. You see? Yeah, they were the, the priests. Yeah, they wore the garb. Yeah, they had the academia. But where was Aboda Aboda Mishkan? And every time we mention that, you might, if you're a new listener, you're like, what is that? Go and listen to our study through Leviticus. You'll understand. But go and listen to our study in Leviticus. It's there for you. And Samuel, he's not a hypocrite. And remember, only the clean can clean. This is Samuel speaking here. And the Lord is with him, and he is with the Lord. We see this revealed in chapter 3, verse 19. For Samuel chapter 3, verse 19. And so we look at the end of verse 3 here, and you know, Samuel, he's saying straight up, if you do this, you do this, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel straight up tells them, you will have victory. But the formula's got to be right. The formula must be right in you, O Israel. And don't forget, the formula is right in him. He's not speaking as a hypocrite. The formula is right in him. You see, this isn't Eli speaking. This isn't Hophni. This isn't Phineas. They're dead, judged by the Lord. And so look at the response of the people. So the children of Israel put away the bales and the asterisks and served the Lord only. I mean, the Lord does this with nations and peoples all the way down to the individual level. And he still does it today. He can do it with you. If you're listening, you're not a believer. He can do it with you. For 20 years, Israel here in chapter 7, 1 Samuel, Israel has been lamenting in guilt and shame for 20 years. Notice, while having the bales and the asterisks. You see? While having the bales and the asterisks. You see? Guilt and shame, it can disappear. It can completely be gone. But there's only one way that can happen. And it's through Jesus Christ, son of the most high God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the only way. I mean, people turn to their alcohol. People turn to their drugs. People turn to their sex. People turn to their Buddhas. People turn to their, you know, what, you know, the, the Ouija board. People turn to all kinds of different things, but there's only one way that guilt and shame can completely disappear. There's only one way. And that's through Jesus. The formula must be right. You see? And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You know, the, the, the only way guilt and shame can, can be beautiful. And, you know, it's like, whoa, you know, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, guilt and shame can be beautiful. Yes, beautiful. And the only way that guilt and shame can be beautiful is when you, if you're listening, you're not a believer. It's when you, you take the next step. And there will be lamenting. There will be lamenting. I mean, here in 1 Samuel chapter 7, the lamenting with Israel was 20 years. 20 years. But if you're listening, you're not a believer. And yes, you know, you have guilt and shame and you're, you're like wondering, what is this guy talking about? Like guilt and shame is a beautiful thing. The only way guilt and shame is a beautiful thing is when it leads you to the cross. And instead of 20 years, it could be 20 seconds. Very important to understand what the word of God says. 
that God so loves the world? You know what that means? God so loves you. Very important to understand. He's the one who made the way. He's the one who sent his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. And if you're listening and you're like, wow, you know what? I feel guilt and shame. I turn to the bottle. I turn to my crack. I go to the dealer. I turn to my sex. I turn to this. I turn to that. I turn to the Buddha. I turn to the Ouija boards. I turn, you know, searching, searching, searching for just a little taste of joy. The joy of the Lord. Nothing is like the joy of the Lord. And if you're listening, you're not a believer, and you're like, whoa, you know what? I want that. I want that. Well, number one, praise be to the Lord. Number two, you can trade your ashes in for beauty, just as the worship song. When we sing the worship song, we can trade our ashes in for beauty. But there's a very specific formula. You have to come to Christ, you see? And you have to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if that's you, hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. You commit your life to Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Very, very, very specific formula as, as outlined in the Word of God. Very specific blueprints. It's super easy, but it's super intricate. Very specific blueprints. And if that's you, hit pause. Listen to the message. How to commit your life, and you commit your life to Jesus Christ. You come back, you listen, and we grow together. We journey together. You and me on our way to paradise. And so here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Look at Israel. They had their period of lamenting. They get rid of the idols. And Samuel, what does he do? Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. In verse 5, and Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. Now, remember, this is Samuel. This is Samuel. This is not Eli. This is not Hophni. This is not Phinehas. They're dead. God's mercy, which did apply to them, no longer applied to them. And it's by their own choosing because they defiled themselves. Remember our prior studies in the earlier chapters of 1 Samuel. If you're listening for the first time, go and listen. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and get yourself caught up. Remember, God is reactionary. He responds to wickedness, as we've seen with Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. He responds to righteousness, as we see with Hannah and Samuel. And what we see with Israel here in chapter 7 he responds to repentance. In verse 6, well, you know, verse 5, Samuel says, you know, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And then in verse 6, so they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. You see, the acknowledgement of their sin. We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now, this sounds terrible. You know, this last part, you know, Samuel judged Israel. And today, we live in a culture today that doesn't want to be judgmental. 
They don't want to be judgmental. They don't want to be on the receiving end of, you know, of judgment. You know, don't judge me. Don't judge me. And the Bible does say, don't judge. But we have to understand context. Because remember, the Bible says there is no God. The Bible absolutely says there is no God. But in proper context, the Bible says it's the fool that says in his heart there is no God. You see? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And the Bible says, absolutely, don't judge. But in proper context, the Bible says, first, first, take out the plank in your own eye. You see? And don't forget the derivatives of the word judge, where there's crino, anacrino, and diacrino. And in order to judge, a person can't be a hypocrite. Cannot be a hypocrite. The formula has to be right. And then understand that an assessment has to be made. A determination has to be made. And a lot of times you see Christians and, you know, non-believers, you know, don't judge. The Bible says don't judge. And you see it with Christians too. Oh, you know, the Bible says don't judge. Don't judge. Don't judge me lest you be judged. And they're taking the, the teachings of our Lord out of context. Because Jesus says, don't judge when you have a plank in your own eye. Don't judge when you yourself are a hypocrite. Wrong formula. Wrong formula. Remember Eli? High priest. High priest. And look at his hypocrisy. You see? And the Lord was silent. But the Lord wasn't silent to Samuel. You see? Because Eli was the hypocrite. In Samuel, no hypocrisy. The real deal. Formula was right. And we see in verse 6 that Samuel did judge Israel. And in the case of Samuel, he was in the right. Formula was right. No planks in Samuel's eyes. Eli, Hophni, Phinehas, whole lot of planks. And they're dead. They were judged by the Lord. I mean, you know, understand, Samuel, he's with the people. He's with the people. He's with the people. And he doesn't say like, you know, hey, guys, you're fine. You're fine. You know, the bales, no big deal. You know, the asterisk, eh, no big deal. You're fine. No, he doesn't say that. That doesn't happen. And Samuel, in whom the formula is right, his judgment is sound. And he tells the people, you got to be right with the Lord. You got to be right with the Lord. And in your present state, oh, Israel, you're in trouble. And what does he say? Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. It's very important to understand. And pastors today, pastors today who attempt to help believers. And there's nothing wrong with the desire to help believers. To guide believers. But the pastor cannot be a hypocrite. A pastor is going to help somebody with alcoholism when he himself is an alcoholic. Very important to understand. And that's pastors. That's why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. But let's forget the pastor and just look at the believer who's not in official ministry like pastoral or as elder or as, you know, a, a deacon. 
But we look at believers. The formula has to be right inside of you, inside of me. The formula has to be right inside of us. No hypocrisy. Because when there's hypocrisy, okay, you know, you can't judge. You can't do that. You know, no crino, but you can't do the diacrino and the anacrino. Why? Wrong formula. Hypocrisy. But when the formula is right, that's why, you know, you see, you know, it were, you know, uh, 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 do not judge. And then Jesus goes on, on to explain, you know, like with the, the right conditions, you can't judge when you have a plank in your own eye. And, but, you know, you look at Jesus, you know, when he says, uh, uh, do not judge, but then you read Paul's writing, it's like, whoa, Paul's, Paul, Paul's judging a lot. You look at, you look at James, it's like, whoa, you know, the Jesus says, don't judge. And then all of a sudden you see brother James when he says, you know, you, uh, you, you, uh, 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 adulterers and adulteresses. It's like, whoa, is, is, is James in the wrong? Is James disobedient to the Lord? No, 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 no. It would appear that way based on, you know, uh, the modern day, I'm doing my air quotes, modern day theology. It would seem that Brother James is the wrong because Jesus says, don't judge. But then James is just flat out saying, you know, adulterers and adulteresses, exclamation point. Wow, James. It would appear that James is judging. But when you understand context and Jesus explains, you know, don't judge when you got a, a big plank in your own eye. He says, first, remove the plank so that you can see clearly. And then you look at Brother James's writings and you see, well, adulterers and adulteresses. Remember, he's speaking to Christians. Adulterers and adulteresses, exclamation point. It's like, whoa. You see the formula is right in James. And it's like, oh my goodness, the church needs to repent. The Christians, they need to repent and be right with the Lord. They need to lament. And the modern day theologians have a big problem. Because they don't follow sound doctrine. Because Jesus says, don't judge. You look at James, it's like, whoa, he's judging. Jesus says, don't judge. You look at Paul, whoa, he's judging. You see? In the, according to the modern day theologians, I'm doing my air quotes. But when the formula is right, when the formula is right, Paul, he doesn't have a plank in his eye. He's not a hypocrite. And because he's not a hypocrite, now he can speak on these things. Now he can speak on these matters. Hey, you got to be right with the Lord. Because Brother James doesn't have a plank in his own eye, now he's able to say and speak on these matters. The same with John, the same with Peter. No planks, no hypocrisy. And so you have a lineup here of Samuel and Eli and Hophni and Phineas and you know with carnal eyes you look at the four and you'd be like okay there's Samuel over here but there's the priests over here surely the priests are in the right but the priests are in the wrong wrong formula Samuel he's in the right right formula according to very specific blueprints and so here in chapter 7, from town to town to town to town, when the ark is there, 
we see something exactly like we see in our studies through the book of Mark. As Jesus goes from town to town to town, you see hard hearts and soft hearts. You see, same exact impetus in the town, but completely different responses in the people and different reaction from on high, different reaction from the Lord. And it's all because of the heart. I mean, Jesus goes into town. You have one group of people that want to kill him and then another group of people that love him. One group of people that, you know, hate him and another group of people that want to follow him. And here in in, in 1 Samuel, we've seen the ark go from town to town. And you see death. You see the tumors. You see affliction. But in Kirjath-Jerim, something different. The condition of the heart. And what is the condition of the heart? It cannot be mandated. It cannot be coerced. It cannot be manipulated. Because remember, these are holy matters. We're speaking on holiness now. And things are happening in Kirjath Jarim and, you know, in Kirjath Jarim. But remember, Samuel says, hey, hey, let's go to Mizpah. You know, the people, you know, let's uh, gather in verse six, you know, they gathered at Mizpah. And so all of a sudden, you know, what's happening is that word starts to spread about Israel. In verse seven, now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, remember, these are two opposing peoples. Two opposing peoples. There's oppression and friction and wars. And in the last war, Israel lost, lost miserably. And the ark was taken. And we see Ichabod, the glory has left. And from a spiritual perspective, Samuel, who's the one who said, you know, gather at Mizpah. And it's beautiful to see what has happened to Israel and Israel getting right with the Lord. But from a, we'll say, tactical perspective from the viewpoint of the Philistines, you know, they see it with carnal eyes and they're like, hey, Israel is gathering in Mizpah. There's a threat at our borders. So understand what's happening. I mean, we see Samuel and, you know, beautiful things are happening with Israel. But, you know, from the from the from the position and, and, and the perspective of the Philistines, it's like, oh, wait a second. You know, Israel is gathering at Mizpah. You know, there's this threat here. And so look what happens. The Philistines in verse seven, they heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah. The lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Now, just think about the emboldening, the emboldening of, you know, the in in the case of the Philistines, you know, in the last war where the Philistines won, Israel was defeated and defeated miserably. And so, you know, the Philistines, you know, with their emboldening, you know, you know, from their perspective, you know, it's like, oh, you know, we, we, we beat them last time. We defeated them last time. And so here the Philistines, they hear about Israel and they just figure, oh, we'll, we'll defeat them again. But then Israel hears about the Philistines. 
And their mindset isn't, you know, you know, you know, let's do this, you know, let's get it on. No, Israel is afraid. Remember, they suffered casualties. They lost miserably. The ark was taken. They were defeated. And so Israel, they're afraid. And I don't want to sound carnal in saying this, but just at carnal observation, we see something where one group is afraid and the other group isn't. Carnally speaking, one would think that the group that is afraid is in big trouble because they're not ready to fight. They're not ready for the fight. But then there's something very important to see, not carnally, but spiritually now, with eyes to see. The group that is afraid, speaking of Israel, what's been happening this whole time, what we see in the beginning of chapter 7, what's been happening is that they're getting right with the Lord. They've destroyed their idols. They've lamented. They've prayed. They've fasted. You see? And I want to say something to my Jewish friends whom I love. Israel is getting right here with the Lord in chapter 7, but it's not under the direction of the priesthood. The establishment priesthood failed them. And the house of Eli has been judged by God. They're dead. Straight up, they're dead. Israel is right with God under the direction of Samuel. And these are things that will repeat in the last days. The emboldened forces under the leadership of the son of perdition. I mean, for my Jewish friends, the prophet Daniel refers to this particular individual as he who makes desolate. But for believers, this is the Antichrist. This is the Antichrist who Brother John tells us about. It's the same person, indwelt by that serpent of old. And he will come against both Jews and Christians. And this is according to the prophets and apostles. I mean, if you're Jewish, you know, the words that we speak here, they seem blasphemous. If you're Jewish, they seem blasphemous to align the prophets and the apostles together. And according to the law of Moses, according to the law of Moses, there is only one way that this is remotely possible. Alignment with the prophets and apostles. There's only one way. Alignment with the prophets, alignment with the prophet, with the apostles, and alignment with Moses. There's only one way. And when he who makes desolate prevails... What's going to happen, prophetically speaking, is that he will successfully kill Jews and Christians. And it's going to be a terrifying time. Terrifying time. And Antichrist forces will be very, very bold against Jews and Christians. And we already see this tide starting to rise today. You see? All these movements against Israel. All these movements against Christians. All these movements against Judeo-Christian values. These are things that are happening today. The tide is shifting. 
And it's all gearing up for fulfillment of the prophets and the apostles and Moses. And there will definitely be reason to be afraid exactly like we see here in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Israel is afraid. They're afraid. The last fight they lost miserably. They they took a lot of casualties, a lot of death. And the ark was taken. And so the Philistines, they're emboldened against Israel. But there's something different about Israel. There's something different about Israel here. I mean, for my rabbi friends, but for my Jewish friends who are specifically rabbis, don't forget, don't forget the ark returned. Not with human hands, on wood made of the Gentiles, brought back by two female cows to Beth Shemesh. Very important to understand what's happening. And so here, Israel is afraid, understandably. I mean, they they lost in the previous war and the very force that defeated them is approaching them. There's something very different about Israel, though. And it's something we speak extensively on, and we're going to keep speaking on extensively. You know what that is? Formula. Formula. Or before, remember when Israel treated the ark like a good luck charm? That was then, and this is now. The same people, speaking of the survivors, the same people, Israel, but different hearts. Different hearts. Remember the ark went from town to town to town to town and you see affliction? But you don't see that here. You see lamenting of the people. And so here in verse 8, so the children of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Now, remember the right formula, the right formula. Now, when there is the right formula, it's the only way to have effectuation of God's promises. Old Testament, New Testament, and still today, understanding the covenants, the reason of covenants, the purpose of covenants, the power of covenants, and abiding in the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Very important to understand. Very specific formula, but Super easy, but super intricate. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, Messiah. He's the one who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't say, hey, you, know, you know, come unto me and you got to, you know, learn calculus. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, you know, come unto me and you have to get your, 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 your doctorate degree from, you know, Harvard Law. He doesn't say that. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Super easy, but super intricate. And so the people say to Samuel, do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. In verse 9, and Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Now, I don't want to get off topic here. But I can't help but mention this. 
Samuel's an adult here in chapter 7. But remember many moons back when he was a little kid? Our earlier studies in chapter 1, chapter 2? Many moons ago when he was just a little kid working with the priesthood. Consider what he observed among the priesthood when he was just a child. Remember when the, the priests... The priests would treat the sacrifice and offering like their personal menu. They want the choicest meats to eat. And they want to have their bellies nice and full. Remember the good old high priest Eli and his wicked sons? Remember? Like they're the, 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 like the people are waiters, you know. Hey, you know, you know, I, I want to eat ribeye tonight. So, you know, you offer, no, not, the, not that animal. Offer this animal. And so people would come to and just listening to the priests. And nothing for the Lord. They would eat the meat. Wickedness. They were on the receiving end of God's mercy, but they squandered it. And now they're dead, judged of the Lord. And then, the whole time there was little Samuel. Little Samuel. Working with the priesthood. Observing their ways. Little Samuel with his little ephod. Wearing his special garments made by beautiful mama. Samuel observing the priests. And having no part in their wickedness. You see? As a child. Having no part in the wickedness of the priesthood. And so here in chapter 7. Samuel doesn't take a... Any portion of this offering, like like the priesthood when he was a kid, you know, a, you know, working and with, with the priesthood, you know, Samuel had no part in that. They want to be wicked, okay? They make their choice. They want to treat the offerings of God like it's their their personal menu, making these demands of the people and on the people, and for themselves because of what they want to have in their belly. And little Samuel, now in chapter 7, he's not little Samuel anymore. Now he's big Samuel. He's an adult now. And he takes no portion of this lamb, this offering. You see? The whole lamb, the whole sacrifice is for the Lord. Look at pastors today. Pastors who have income from sacrifice and offerings of the people. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says the ox is worthy of grain. But you see pastors today taking large portions of offerings, just like the priesthood under Eli. Some pastors who take 100%. Some take 70% for themselves. Some take 40%. Some take 20%. Where are the ones who take 0%? You see? 0% for themselves. Where are the ones who take 100% of the offerings and give it all to the Lord? 100% for Him. A sweet aroma unto the Most High. We see that with Samuel here. The whole lamb. So Samuel, he takes 100% of this offering, this lamb. As a burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. 
And the Lord answered him. Remember before when Israel used the, the ark as a good luck charm? Sanctioned by the priesthood. Don't forget. Remember with Eli? Where the word of the Lord was rare in those days? See, the Lord was always there. The Lord was always there when Israel was doing evil in his sight. He's always been there. And yet we see this special intimacy with select individuals. And beautiful, beautiful Samuel. He's one of them. In verse 10, now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, Samuel, don't what's happening? Samuel is in the act of offering the lamb unto the Lord. And Samuel was, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. You see, don't forget the Philistines, they're emboldened. They're emboldened, you know. Yeah, we, 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 we beat them last time, we're going to beat them again. We defeated them last time, we're going to defeat Israel again. They're emboldened. And from a, a tactical standpoint, one might assume that Samuel is in error. You know, like, Samuel, put that lamb down, you know, pick up your sword, you know, Samuel. One might assume that Samuel is in the wrong, but no. Samuel's not going to stop in his offering unto the Lord. The Lord Most High. And so notice what's happening here. Notice everything that's coming into alignment with regard to the hearts of Israel. Obedience. Being right with the Lord. Not according to their own way. Being right with God according to very specific blueprints. And so the Philistines are approaching. They're straight up ready for war. Look what happens here in verse 10. The Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. You know what the, how this translates in the Hebrew? That the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and translates in the Hebrew as... And so broke them that they were defeated before Israel. And so broke them that they were defeated before Israel. Now, I'm going to say something that sounds very carnal in explanation. But we have to remember that we're in the old covenant in this study. Rules of engagement according to the old covenant. Now, there's a sensation there's a sensation in a physical fight that precedes physical victory. For example, say you're a little guy. Say you're a little guy and, you know, there's this big, mean, tough guy who has a boldness to him. And it's understandable. You know, he's Mr. Tough Guy. And say, for example, Mr. Tough Guy gets a little froggy. Mr. Tough Guy gets a little froggy and he's bold and he's emboldened. And understandable, he's, you know, a big guy. See, you know, big, mean, tough guy. And so Mr. Tough Guy is getting froggy. And remember, in this example, you're just a little guy. And you have Mr. Tough Guy who's getting a little froggy. And once things ensue with Mr. Tough Guy 
And, you know, speaking of a physical altercation, during, there's a sensation of his defeat. But it's prior to physical defeat. And it happens when Mr. Tough Guy, it happens when he's defeated mentally. He's broken. He's broken. And this is before the physical defeat. But the sensation of being broken, it's palpable. Where Mr. Tough Guy isn't Mr. Tough Guy anymore because he's been humbled. Now, it's very important to stress that as believers, as Christians, not in the old covenant, as new covenant believers, we do not fight in the physical realm in the ways of Adam. We don't fight that way. We fight spiritually. We fight on our knees in prayer. But under the Old Testament rules of engagement, this is what goes through my mind when we consider the boldness of the Philistines where they had prior victory. You know, like Mr. Tough Guy. They had prior victory where Israel was defeated miserably. Except on this particular day of battle, where Israel is afraid. They're afraid. They know that they were defeated by the the Philistines. They know perfectly well of the the survivors. Because remember, they took a lot of casualties and the ark was taken. And there's this boldness to the Philistines as they approach Israel. Now, they're approaching Israel for war to kill them. And look what's happening here. Meanwhile, Samuel, he's making offering to the Lord. And from the Philistine perspective, it's almost laughable. No no disrespect, no, no irreverence here, but it's almost laughable from the Philistine perspective because Israel is afraid and there's Samuel with the lamb. And it's like from the Philistine perspective, like, you know, are they, are they, are they going to fight? They're emboldened. Remember in the previous battle when they, you know, they rallied themselves, they emboldened themselves and think of the boldness that they have now. You know, Israel isn't even ready for this fight, it would seem. Israel isn't even ready for this slaughter that awaits them, it would seem. But remember what's been happening. Remember what's been happening. Formula in the hearts of the people. In the hearts of Israel. Now we have obedience in Israel. And now we have alignment to the precepts of God. You see? And now in this battle on this day, where it's not like previous days, where the Lord with a thunder so loud, and it translates in the Hebrew, says he so broke them that they were defeated before Israel. The boldness of the Philistines, just like, you know, Mr. Mr. Tough Guy in the example we gave earlier. Except they're broken now. They're broken now. Before the physical, before the physical fight between mankind, they're already defeated. And that's the Lord with the thunder so loud. 
and he broke them. Think of what their boldness would think of their, you know, what they, what would they had boldness, but no more boldness, no more boldness. They're defeated before the physical fight between Israel or with Israel before that even starts. And so look what happens here in verse 11. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. I mean, you know, we have our beautiful hymn song that we sing, you know, Here I raise my Ebenezer. I'm, I'm, I'm not a good singer, but you know, here I raise my Ebenezer. Here by thy great help I've come. And Samuel here. The Lord has helped us thus far. And there's the thus far of Mizpah and Shen to below Bethkar, but there's another thus far. And we see this in verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And this is the other thus far. It's all the days of Samuel. Remember our study in the, in, the, in the book of Judges? All the days of Joshua? Remember, leadership matters. What happens after Joshua? Leadership under Moses, you know, praise be to the Lord. Leadership under Joshua, praise be to the Lord. Leadership under, you know, when, when Joshua dies and the elders, the formula was right in them. But what happens when that generation passes? And then you have generation upon generation upon generation upon generation that doesn't know the Lord. Remember our study in the book of Judges? That gets worse and worse and worse. Remember there was peace in Israel? All these moments when there was peace in Israel under certain judges... When things were fine with Israel under Moses, when things were fine with Israel under Joshua, but what happens when a generation forgets? And then we see here in verse 13 that the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. And we see that it's all the days of Samuel. Very important to understand. Because under Eli, the high priest, with his wicked sons. Remember, there's no widespread revelation. The Lord was silent in those days. And we see that the Lord is silent for a reason. And it's just like our study on Sunday. It just so happens. It just so happens. Where you see our Lord Jesus Christ, fulfillment of the law and the prophets. You see how he starts speaking in parables. Where truth starts to become veiled. You see? Even our Lord before his accusers, silent. You see? There's a reason why the Lord is silent. 
because it's a matter of the heart. Formula, just like that frequency we speak of, you know, like the old school radio stations. We want to listen to classical music on 92.4. Where if the dial's at, you know, 105.8, wrong frequency. You're not going to hear anything from the Lord. A person who's on 105.8 when we got to be at 92.3. So what do we do? Well, we turn the dial. We turn the dial. This old school radio nowadays, you know, kids don't even know that nowadays. But back in the day, old school, there was this, you know, the little dials on the radio stations. And you turn the little knob and it goes from 95 and or 105 and you see it go left and left and left. And all of a sudden... 92.3, boom, you can hear the music. But the same thing is with the Lord. He never changes. We have to be on the right frequency. And what is that frequency? The Word of God. Genesis to Revelation, the full counsel of the Word of God. Old interpreting new, new interpreting old. The full counsel of the Word of God. And don't forget, we have the Helper, capital H, Paracletus. We have to be on the right frequency. We have to understand the word of God. More on the right frequency, boom. Praise be to the Lord. But when a person leaves the word of God, hey, wrong frequency. A person leaves the word of God and goes to the New York Times bestseller. A person leaves the word of God and starts reading the teachings of, you know, the, the, the Hinduism and the Buddha and the chakras and the crystals. Way wrong frequency. And the Lord says, have no gods before me. You see, idolatry. We have to be on the right frequency. You and me abiding in the word of God. You see, and the word became flesh. You and me abiding in Christ. Very important to understand. In the case of Samuel, no hypocrisy. The formula is right in Samuel. And look at what the Lord is doing through him. Look at Israel. And for such a time as this, Samuel here in the first Samuel chapter seven generation. For such a time as this, Samuel instructing Israel and as a covering Israel, they're right with the Lord. You see? You remember last week's study in chapter six? The priesthood of the Philistines? The priests of the Philistines, they promised healing. They promised healing. Remember in the beginning of the chapter, you know, send the ark back and you're going to be healed. Remember the people, they suffered death. They suffered the tumors. And when the ark was in town to town to town of the Philistines. And the, their priests, the priests of the Philistines, instead of, you know, it would have been much easier if they repented of their ways. If they destroyed Dagon. It would have been much easier if they just repented and worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It would have been much better for them. But that didn't happen. And they promised healing. They promised healing. And now look, here we are in chapter 7. Where is the healing? There is none. Instead, the Philistines, they get defeat and they get death. 
when the whole time there was a better alternative, the whole time there was a better way. And you say, wait a second, okay, this is Old Testament, this is Old Testament. No, no, no. The same thing applies today. I mean, it is the Old Testament, but this same thing applies today. The same thing applies today. Uh, you know, it, it, it would be so much easier if people, okay, you know, I, you know, I, I want to lean on Buddha. I want to lean on Buddha. I want to do my crystals. I want to do my chakras. I got healing in chakras. I get healing in the crystals. It's so much easier to deny those things and come to the Lord where there is healing. But people, they want to reject the Lord. They want to reject the Lord and they do reject the Lord and they lean on their Buddhas and their chakras and the zeitgeist. They lean on all these things according to their own ways. And there will be death. There will be death. Except outside of Christ, the Bible calls that the second death. Where it's the lake of fire. You see? These are things that I tell you from experience. Different religions, different behaviors with the sex and the alcohol and the drugs. And there's no healing with those. There's no joy with those. There's no end to the guilt with those. Yeah, you can, you can mask the guilt. You can mask the shame. But the next day, it's still there. You see? And the shame only gets worse because of the previous night's behaviors. The shame and the guilt, it only compounds. It only gets worse. I tell you these things from experience. There's only one way the guilt and shame can disappear. It goes away. Why? Because it's taken away. And how is it taken away? When you give it away. You see? And we trade our ashes in for beauty. If you're listening and you're not a believer, hit pause and listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ. Because just like the priesthood of the Philistines when they, you know, hey, well, you know, do this and you'll be healed, do this and you'll be healed. Now look, they're dead. You have all these people in your life that promise, hey, do this and you're going to be healed. Hey, take these pills. You're going to feel good. Take this Prozac. Take these Quaaludes, Adderall. Take these things. You're going to feel real good when the whole time, year upon year upon year, you know, people turning into zombies. When the whole time there's a better way. You feel like dirt? Listen, the only way feeling like dirt is a good thing is when it leads you to the Lord. You see, you know what that's called? Brother Paul, he calls that godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. There's worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is when you feel like dirt and you go to the bottle. Worldly sorrow is when you feel like dirt and you go to the crack. Worldly sorrow is when you feel like dirt and you do the sex. You feel like dirt and you say, oh, I, I want to numb the hurt. I want to numb the pain. So I'm going to go to the casino. I want to feel good. I want to numb the pain. So I'm going to go to the strippers. I'm going to go to Buddha. You see? 
I'm going to go do my Ouija board. Maybe I'll get some help that way. But it's demonic. Anything that pulls you away from Jesus Christ. Anything. It's of Satan. You know why? Because he doesn't want you to believe. And he doesn't want you to receive the blessings of the Lord. There is a better way. And it, it only comes through Jesus Christ. The blessings of the Lord. So if you're listening and you're just straight up done, done with the falsehoods of crack, done with the falsehoods of alcohol and sex and gambling and Buddha and, you know, the therapist and, you know, the VA hospital that gives you a, a, a drug cocktail, veterans who taking 20 pills a day, 10, 15, 20 pills a day. Six months later, they're straight up zombies. And if that's you and you're just done, there's a better way. And it's Jesus. You see, it's the Lord, Son of the Most High God. You want to commit your life to Him? It's super easy, super intricate, but super easy. Hit pause and listen to the message, how to come in your life to Christ. You come back, you listen, we grow together. And all those things that felt like Mr. Tough Guy. All those things that felt like Mr. Tough Guy. And before, they might have been Mr. Tough Guy. Well, you know, they were Mr. Tough Guy, depending on, you know, the, what, what the, the level of how deep the entrenching was in those things. Speaking of the sex and the drugs and the alcohol and the Ouija boards and the crystals and the chakras and the Buddhas and the yoga and, all, you know, all kinds of different things. They were Mr. Tough Guy. But now, when the formula is in alignment to very holy blueprints. You see, those things are defeated. Not by you, not by me, by the Lord, by Jesus in you. And you and me, we fall deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Him. It's so holy. It's so beautiful. It's so holy. And Satan doesn't want you to know these things. Satan doesn't want you to know these very holy blueprints. Where there's still healing. There's an unspeakable joy. Unspeakable joy. Joy beyond joy. And it's in the Lord. People can go to the Laugh Factory. People can go to their, you know, the, 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 the comedy night at the local club. And they might hear a joke and laugh and, you know. But later that night, the guilt and the shame is still there. But the joy of the Lord, whew, that's not Laugh Factory. That's real. Because it's from on high. It's a blessing of the Lord. And so we see here in verse 14, in closing, 
Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. From Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. You see, the Amorites, you know, they see that that Israel, you know, they're a force to be reckoned with. And Israel doesn't have a peace through strength policy. This isn't political. It's holy. You know, politicians, you know, peace through strength, peace through strength. They have their policy, but it's carnal. This is real peace because it's a blessing of the Lord. According to his promises, it's the blessings for obedience. Exactly like he said, where before they didn't have peace. Why? Wrong formula. But now there's peace. Why? Right formula. We see in verse 15, and Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. I'm so in love with beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Samuel. I can't wait to meet him. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.